Hello, and welcome to Untold Wealth, episode 11 of Untold Wealth, your favorite economics podcast. And uh, my name is Devin, and we're being joined by my lovely co-host, Vince Belak in the house. There we go. Yes, this is episode 11. And the title of this episode is The Battle for Your Head. Vince, the battle for your head. Um, I took this in a in a different direction to probably what I intended when I wrote it down. I think I wrote it down on our sheet, um, and I think that's a pretty common theme for us, as as we've obviously been listening and editing editing <laughs> our videos. It's been a lot of fun, but we definitely take you know, the podcast in different directions and we tease out just the weirdest connotations of the titles that, that we can think of. And that's I'm totally not, I'm, fun. I'd, mm. I'm happy. No, it, it, it brings some levity and it means that our listeners will never quite know what we're going to talk about. Mm. Um, so Vince, I have a question for you. How much do you think a life is worth? Whoa. It's a very existential question. Uh, how much is a life worth? I mean, my brain immediately goes towards black market shady dealings. How much is a human body worth on the black market? Um, in which case, I'd maybe say tens of thousands of dollars, maybe? You're a, you're a genius. Really? You knew exactly where I was heading with it. I That is exactly where I'm heading. I There is no way, obviously, of telling how much human life is worth, the life of a soul. But if you, you can add up all the different body parts um, <laughs> and come to some conclusion of how much a human life is worth, and, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today, is the market for organ transplants, both legal and and illegal all right so obviously that's why i said the battle for your head it just so happens that the only kind of body part people aren't battling for is heads i so that's so good i love that so much battle for your head um, amazing exactly but, but yeah, I mean, there's no one that's really selling their heads. I mean, there was some talk years ago of some surgeon that was going to do like the world's first brain transplant and mm. opted out of it. But everything else is pretty transferable. Really? Um, as I've researched. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> but to answer the question, there's no real determined number because it differs in situation to situation. And obviously most of this these dealings are conducted in under-the-counter, black markety sort of fashion. So it ranges between $45 million to $550,000 um, if you were to sell kind of every body part uh, in, in a human body. And you can sell a lot, mind you. Um, the corneas go for about 30000 each, and that's one of the cheaper parts of a human body part. Lungs, 150,000. Heart, 130,000. Liver, 98,000. And your kidneys, which I'm going to get to in a little bit, which are by far the biggest or the biggest product in the organ selling market is kidneys. That makes um, sense. It's about 60, 
$62,000. Yes. So, okay, you said it makes sense. Do you have any inkling why it makes sense? Well, uh, for the kidneys specifically. Yeah, I'm mean, trying to rack my brain on like why, what someone is going to do with these other body parts that you mentioned. But the kidneys to me seem like the most obvious choice because I know that, you know, people have kidney issues and you can have a new kidney uh, either like gifted to you or like you put on a waiting list forever. So that seems like a, a way to bypass a multi-year-long waiting list. Just get a kidney off the black market and have a surgery done to replace yours if it's not functioning. You you are immensely knowledgeable. You're, I mean, you're hitting all the little points that I'm going to touch upon now. Um, first and foremost, it's also because you have two kidneys, obviously. I mean, a human body can operate with only one kidney. Um, that's simply the function of kidneys. Uh, don't ask me detail what kidneys do. I'm not a <laughs> medical uh, officer or doctor or anything like that. But you can definitely survive off one kidney. And the research has shown very well. In fact, um, 15 years post-operative surgery, um, it's pretty much the same degree as your functionality if you had two kidneys, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, we kind of dived into just numbers of, of kind of, you know, how much <laughs> certain organs are selling for. But this this organ market is quite interesting. Um, and this is kind of how the world views it, is that it is very frowned upon. And by very, I mean it is illegal in <laughs> any developed nation across the world I would hope so. to sell an organ for any price, except for one nation, a small nation named Iran. Oh. Iran, it is completely legal to sell, especially kidneys, but as far as I've researched any organ really, some organs you have to be dead to donate, so obviously or or sell. So we'll obviously exclude those, but you're allowed to, you know, sell organs, right? Um, there are some states around the world that they have this middle ground where it is, you know, legally and legislatively not allowed, but practically speaking, they do sell. Something like Israel and Turkey, these kind of nations, you know, there's this kind of tongue-in-cheek way that they go about it right they, they right. still do allow it but it's it's a little bit regulated but it's not you know widely advertised okay but but so why is it quite frowned upon okay and the answer is pretty obvious to everyone it's that you know there there's a lot of exploitation that can happen a lot of organ selling is attributed to human trafficking you know um and, and various shady deals like that. Essentially, the only, the real reason why organ trafficking exists, you know, the whole organ selling market exists, okay, right now, being that it's illegal, is that there are people in developed nations that desperately need organs, okay? And let's use kidneys as an example, okay? Well, I'll even chat about kidneys a bit later. I'll use that kind of as a running anecdote throughout this. Um, who will pay a lot of money for a kidney. They'll find some kind of uh, dealer, some kind of broker, and that broker will get them in touch with uh, with a kidney around the world, right? <laughs> and the reason that broker is even in that business is because they can charge absorbent prices um, to the people who want 
the organ and you know obviously pay some underprivileged people from around the world a lot less for the organ um prices nowadays from what i've seen in stories it's about 150,000 for like everything that includes flights to where the organ you know the surgery will occur to accommodation to a surgeon doing it kind of covers it extensively and then they they usually offer um offer the donor about five thousand dollars four thousand five thousand dollars right just so happens that just so happens that in iran where it's legal where the state literally pays for the for the organs um it's about five thousand dollars as well so weirdly enough i don't know if there's a correlation there like well there's a correlation but yeah i don't know what the reason is iran in, in my brain i'm kind of seeing it as you know how like there's this stereotype where and you go to like Turkey to get a hair transplant or something. Like you go to Iran mm-hmm. to get your kidneys replaced. Is that the deal that I'm kind so, of so? So there's this term called transplant tourism. Okay, and that's not the deal currently, um, but it's the deal in a lot of places. Like people still go to Iran to do it because there are a lot of surgeons that are used to those kind of transplants. But that is outlawed in Iran because um, they had a very big uptick, and you know it's kind of supposed to serve its own people, you know. Um, so people weren't quite pleased that you know other people were coming in and stealing kidneys, or not stealing <laughs> kidneys, but taking the kidneys from from the medical service. Right? It's also a very developing nation, so they don't quite have the infrastructure to you know harvest organs as efficiently as the u.s does um and even though the u.s does harvest it efficiently the u.s is woefully um woefully undersupplied in terms of organs to to fit the waiting list for all the people um that essentially need organs um yeah so there's this kind of there's this weird there's this weird dichotomy that's happening that demand for organs across the world is extremely high and it's only increasing and that's not because not necessarily because you know population is increasing around the world in 2001 the kidney waiting list in the u.s um was about 46,000. okay in 2022 it is 106,000. so in about 20 years it's more than doubled yeah and the reason i'm talking about kidneys so much is because it's the most in demand uh in demand organ with and i have these statistics in front of me right now uh it is the most transplanted organ in the world with about eighty-one thousand transplants per year the second most transplanted organ in the world is the liver with thirty-two thousand. so it's way more than double what a liver you know the amount of liver transplants that are happening around the world and that is pretty much because diabetes has been and kidney other kidney related diseases have been on the uptick in the 21st century um, to a very notable degree. Like diabetes has a terrible impact on people's kidneys, and diabetes both obviously congenitally and uh, and lifestyle rarely do weigh on people's kidneys. Um, and the need for kidneys has pretty much never been higher, right? So in the US, it's uh, average waiting list. If you, I mean, you talked about waiting lists earlier. For those of you who don't know, if you need a kidney transplant, um, they put you on dialysis. Okay, dialysis pretty much, you know, cleanses the body. Or uh, this is, uh, I could be wrong. This is how I think of it. Dialysis cleanses the body in lieu of your kidneys until you can find a replacement kidney. 
all right? Dialysis costs about $70,000 a year, okay? I mean, that's that's a rough amount. And you're usually on a waiting list for 3.6 years in the US, five years in Canada. So you're paying a lot every single year um, while you're waiting for a kidney because you're on dialysis. And then, um, yeah, and the reason why people want to you know purchase a kidney instead of doing that is because they're just paying a one-time fee between ninety thousand and one hundred and fifty thousand for for a fresh kidney that they don't have to spend years on dialysis on a waiting list fearing for their lives they can just go buy one right what a morbid concept yeah it is yeah it's it's pretty crazy <laughs> so the demand is is high and the supply from just dead bodies essentially people who've died in road accidents, people who've died in the ER, people who've died from, you know, other causes um, is quite low. Also, there's been a big push for organ donor cards and, you know, developed nations and developing nations, but a lot of people haven't signed them. I mean, myself, I'm not opposed to signing an organ donor card for myself once I pass away, but I haven't, I've just never done it. Hmm. You know, it's tough for the normal person to come to grips with that kind of thing and just go and do it because no one's really thinking about what's happening when they die right until you kind of get to that age maybe and even when you do get to that age you're kind of thinking about your immediate family and not just about the betterment of society right so okay we we dissected a lot there do you have any questions before i go on i know that was a lot of information to process i mean the the process of like acquiring kidneys and that market that you just illustrated with Iran and I guess the the broader market worldwide is that makes sense to me because obviously you know as you mentioned kidneys and livers and things are very important organs that can be replaced but these other organs that you mentioned like the cornea and like I guess the tertiary body parts like arms and legs and stuff like I'm still curious on why those get bought and sold in these black markets like what purpose do they have uh, i think you we, we would need to have some kind of expert in the call <laughs> to to tell us about that but it's likely because there's similar medical procedures you know i mean i can't imagine a cornea procedure is life-threatening yeah and that's probably why it's on the lower end in terms of price but things like liver hearts lungs you know portions of lungs you know some of them are definitely can only be taken from people who are dead, right? Mm. That's how I imagine. I know some even only take a portion of the organ, you know, to to be transplanted into someone else. But uh, yeah, I don't have the answer to that one. Um, you pretty much look it up. You, you look it up and the conversation always result, revolves around kidneys. Kidneys are just so in supply and are able to be given by people and donated much more easily than other organs that the conversation always comes to kidneys so that's kind of what i did most of my research in that i'm not too sure what happens with liver heart lungs pancreatic um yeah that's it's a good question but i don't really have an answer i don't i don't know why but yeah so the next question i had is why if the waiting lists are so long if relatively speaking because we have developed immunosuppressants along, you know, 
over the years. I think 1980s is when immunosuppressants were invented. And that's generally what allows you to have a transplant, is that you find a matched blood type, you put you put it in someone's body, and you put that body on immunosuppressants so that the body's immune system doesn't reject yes. that new that new transplant, right? So, I mean, we're at a level where transplants are, and these are kidney transplant statistics that I'm going to cite to you right now, about 0.02% of transplants, kidney transplants, have a chance of, you know, major repercussions. And only about 1% in the post six months after surgery have any complications. So those are pretty astoundingly low numbers of complications for transplants. So if you're in an ideal setting, it's pretty damn safe to have a transplant. Um, but, you know, there's horror stories of this, you know, global transplant ring being quite unsafe. And I think those rumors are pretty true. You know, it's hard to find, you know, factual data for that kind of thing. But you can imagine that to be true, right? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, my question is, why don't you just do what Iran does? You legalize it and you stringently, uh, you stringently uh, govern it, you know, through legislature and practice and boards. You cut out the supply problem, you give people money, and you have people saving lives. You know, there's less of a there's less of a waiting list. More people are gonna are gonna get their kidneys essentially, and other and other organs um but that seems to be the big minority view right do you do you have a view yourself on that i know you probably haven't thought about it deeply but uh like if a system was created that was very equitable and efficient and you know remuneration was quite was quite good would you be in favor of a system like that you know it would yeah i think it all depends. Yeah, I think it all depends on the acquisition process or that part of the process. Because the, I think whether it's a deceased person or a donor or someone who's voluntarily given up their their kidney for someone else, I think that's perfectly fine, and that that's like within the bounds of it. But I guess I don't know enough about how Iran gets the supply of kidneys like is it all solely from people who are donating it when they die etc etc or like how far does that black market overlap with this system where you know there's illegal trading of background like that would be the most concern that i would have with this. like where are these kidneys being acquired from sure Sure. And it's, I mean, I made it sound peachy in Iran. It's not exactly peachy. So, I mean, there's an article, it was awesome, about just a few families that just put up posters on their local street saying, hey, I can offer my kidney. I'm in desperate need of cash right now. And, you know, you don't know how to feel about that. You know, you want them to have cash. They have a kidney at their disposal, so you feel that they should use them. But you know, it leaves a very sour taste in your mouth. You don't, you don't quite like to hear that families who are in debt are trying to sell their kiddies. Yeah. At least it's legal and it's safe, you know, safer than what it would usually be. Um, and they're getting roughly the same amounts of money as I told you earlier, as a black market trader would offer. But 
Yeah, it's, I could see why it's outlawed, right? I mean, the Vatican has even put out statements that it's extremely morally reprehensible for commercial transplantations to take place, right? And, you know, I can't really argue with that, right? But no. I think that is such a black and, that's such a black and white way of looking at it that I don't know if I agree. I was like, we just published the Here's Why You're Poor episode explained. And I think maybe just listening to that, it does strike me as a potential where you have a lot of people who don't have a lot of money or just kind of scraping by. And then like this procedure to have their kidneys taken out is a lifeline that can be extended to them, but is a little bit desperate to do. And as you said, there's a small chance of the procedure going wrong, but nevertheless, there is still a chance. Like, do the people have an ethical right to put themselves in that position? Or is that like taking advantage of a person in a bad situation? I think you can argue it in both ways from a very capitalistic, mm. like, you know, there's a supply, there's a demand, we can make it work. Yeah. And you could also argue that, you know, um, everyone's getting one person's getting money one person's getting life this is a free market exchange you know like it's less waiting it's less waiting time less time on uh you know i don't know whatever ventilators if you're talking about like a lung you know it's just more efficient to do it this way yeah and, you know i kind of buy it but the whole money changing hands for it is pretty dubious when you think about it there was one paper i mean there's there, there's some there was one paper i read you know a bunch of lawyers economists and i think doctors quite literally wrote a letter and it was not really a letter it was more like a paper to to the dutch ministry of health i believe and you know in the conclusion they were like the end kind of justify the means in this case and even if you don't think monetary incentive is good, perhaps you can have some other incentive. Perhaps you can give someone health insurance when they donate, you know? Mm. If someone donates, if someone donates to someone in need, perhaps they can, uh, you know, have their premiums lowered on health insurance or have no premiums at all for a certain duration of time, you know? Keeping them in the system, but making sure that, you know, no money is changing hands. Because in that kind of way, it would largely stop that shady deals from happening with those a little bit lower in terms of the socioeconomic, socioeconomic food chain. Um, but yeah, uh, that is that is the battle for your head. And it's it's quite startling. I didn't even mention how big the market is globally. I can imagine. The market globally is between about $600 and $1.7 billion. So not small, but not, I mean crazily massive but definitely there and and quite sizable um and yeah about so if there's a waiting list let's say the waiting list is about a hundred hundred percent of people okay obviously um about ten percent of those people get their desired organ on that waiting list every year hmm. right so ten percent of that hundred percent and of those ten percent ten percent get it through through you know illegal means black market dealings interesting you know, okay. transplant tourism that kind of thing so it's quite sizable and there's a lot of implications that doctors themselves are in on it i mean doctors are smart people they probably have some you know 
smart lawyer friends and business friends. They set up this kind of thing. <laughs> Some kidneys in the freezer. It's quite sophisticated. Yeah, apparently it's quite sophisticated, but I mean, it's just conjecture. It's so hard to get any factual knowledge about these things. Um, I, I read lots of articles and uh, they all kind of have the same thought process, but they all kind of just tell you like, hey, we don't really know, but this is likely how it's done. Um, so yeah, that is the battle for your head, Vince, or rather the battle for everything other than your head. Amazing. Um, yeah, and, and leave a comment down below if you guys think, um, you know, compensation for for transplantation <laughs> should be given what do you think but uh that covers my end uh, vince i'm very excited to hear what you brought to the table this episode all right i genuinely could talk about organ transplants and the you know ethical dilemmas that come with making that market legal for a long period of time, but uh, I'll put that in the pipeline for maybe another episode or something like that, because I decided to take a more traditional approach for why firms want up in your grill, and that's to do with data privacy, the way the companies have exploited that kind of line, that thin line of data privacy, and also a little bit about like what digital assets or digital profiles go for in shadier markets. But before I tackle all of that, I have a little bit of leg, leg room or like leg work to do here to describe what digital privacy is, how digital and other data that is on the internet can be scraped, used by companies and things like that. So the barest of outlines that I can give you is that data is in everything that you do online, especially nowadays. Now, when you're surfing the web, when you're watching a YouTube video, looking on Instagram, a lot of the times you'll notice that there are advertisements on these sites. And I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've had it where I've looked at these ads and they've been very much related to something going on in my life in recent, uh, very recently at least. Has that happened to you at all? Uh, just rephrase the question. I didn't quite understand it. Has, have you been kind of confronted with an ad that has been very specifically related to something that's been happening to your life? Oh, I think it's happened to me before, um, but I can't think of, I can't think of anything now. But I mean, I've seen YouTube videos of someone, you know, clearing their data history, all that kind of stuff. They go on incognito tabs and they talk about dog food in the background and then dog food ads start you know, popping up. Absolutely. If that's kind of what you're talking about, then I've always had a sneaking suspicion. Like I talk about a laptop one day and then I go and then there's a few laptops on my homepage for some reason. That's entirely spot on. That's exactly what I was talking about. And in most cases, companies get this data either through cookies or, you know, uh, you browsing the internet or on social media platforms and things like that. Um, and this data, more recently at least, has become very valuable to companies. So much so that companies are very much vying 
for your attention in order to get as much data as possible from you. And it's quite a profitable business. But in the pursuit of profits, some of these companies have done some unethical practices in order to get that data and disrupt that thin line of privacy that we all live in um, and that we experience when we go on them. The most famous example of which that happened in 2018 is the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Have you heard of it? No. Really? No, I have not. No, I'm mm. kidding. Okay, well, maybe if I describe it a little bit more, you might recall it a little bit because I, I definitely distinctly remember either chatting with you about it or someone else, but it was very much in the public eye during 2018. But the basic premise is Cambridge Analytica gets this British uh, political consulting firm that specialized in data analysis, strategic communication, and they had a kind of collaborative uh, service with Facebook. And in 2014, this company, Cambridge Analytica, had developed an app called This Is Your Digital Life. A researcher from Cambridge Analytica called Alexander Kogan developed it, and they kind of went out to Facebook users, and they seemed to love it. It basically had a bunch of questions and things that related to consumer spending online, how you interact with your internet services, things like that. And around 270,000 Facebook users downloaded and used the app, which in turn, one of the things that they had to accept to use the app was to have the app gain access to their Facebook profiles. Just, I'm a bit confused. What the hell was the purpose of the app? They're just using the app and putting in stuff about themselves to look cool? I'm just like, what was its purpose? Yes. So there was that aspect, but they were also paid for it. It was kind of like a, a survey app of sorts that was marketed through Facebook. Mm, okay. So basically got little impromptu like consumer surveys, basically. Exactly. Got little payments. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And what... Many people didn't realize when they downloaded the app that it didn't only connect, uh, collect the data from the things that they inputted, but also scraped the data from their profiles and also of their Facebook friends without any kind of explicit consent given by these friends. And so what you had as a result is tens of millions of Facebook profiles being scraped when only about 250,000 Facebook users downloaded and used the app. Madness, madness, madness. Because, I mean, people know so many people nowadays on Facebook just as friends. That, <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. I feel like that's similar to, I don't know if you know, if you, okay, this is getting wild, loudly off topic, but okay. you can pretty much determine people's, you know, uh dna like their you know genetic signature from right, relatives right. nowadays yeah like you can you can figure out someone's you know <laughs> dna from oh, i'm not too sure if dna is the right word but you can tell someone apart i don't know i wildly off topic please continue i, I think it is relevant i think those kind of uh websites like ancestry.com or you know mm. is it 23andme i think it is 
Like, yes. there is a cool aspect of, okay, I get to understand my ancestry and maybe some fun little health details. But in the process of doing that, you are giving that information to these companies. And and I think there's explicitly a understanding that that company can store and then distribute or have that bought from them at any point in time in the future, which I think is concerning I, I don't know to people. About, I don't know about if it's like it can be bought from them, but the way it works is that you're not, you're not really signing over, you're not really giving them your information. You're giving them information about like your cousins, your brothers and sisters, right? And you may have signed a consent form, but they didn't. Much like how much like how this is happening with with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, right? No, that's fair. I, I, I think that I am a little bit jaded because there are other examples that I'll get to where medical information is especially valuable. But going back to... Cambridge Analytica, I think there's a certain, you know, ethical boundary that was crossed where not just your information, but other people's information was scraped off their Facebook profiles. But what they did with the information is, I think, the most concerning portion of it. They used the tens of millions of profiles and the data from them to target political advertisements and influence campaigns, and the most famous of which was the 2016 U.S. presidential election, which involved the fairly controversial Donald Trump, I believe, and as well as the Brexit referendum in the U.K., essentially just using the psychological profiles that they gained and sending those people targeted ads to further the kind of agenda of these, of certain like political uh, candidates and things like that, um, as well as I think there was a connection with Russia, although I didn't research too heavily on that because this by itself was pretty crazy. I mean that is disgusting, right? Like wow, yeah, you get annoyed when it's trying to sell you something, but when it's trying to sell you an ideology in a person, it's like whoa, hold on. It's very scary, very scary. And it took four years for this to actually come to public attention. This only came out in March of 2018 when a whistleblower of the company uh, interviewed with a few notable websites. And that kind of opened the can of worms where a lot of people weren't happy, as you can imagine. And Facebook was very much heavily chastised there was i remember a interview with kind of a few employees and then mark zuckerberg was also put in front of like the u.s senate to answer for why exactly facebook didn't stop any of this and things like that but cambridge analytica ended up filing for bankruptcy in may of 2018 in light of the scandal uh and was was this part of the reason when did when did facebook change their you know persona to meta i can't quite remember was it around the same time that this was happening or like was it the fallout of this happening that happened i think distinctly later but not because of any certain okay i uh, i guess controversy but maybe just mark zuckerberg's love of the metaverse and things like that but yeah yeah 
what it did change within Facebook is a lot more heavier policies, especially in the EU, that determined like data protections. So uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember quite distinctly like Facebook gave you the option to opt out of giving your data to Facebook, as well as you were able to download the data that Facebook had in their systems about you. And things were a lot more transparent since then. And I think I've actually I've actually done that with Google. Hey, really? I downloaded my yeah, and it record every time you say okay Google into your smartphone, it records that. I listened to myself years earlier no saying kidding. okay Google, how went the nearest McDonald's or whatever I said. <laughs> it records that. Um, it was quite scary, but yeah. And I mean, there's this whole discussion about, is it even ethical to have people opt out? Maybe it should be an opt-in thing. Yes. I think I think Apple made that mandatory on Facebook recently where they had the, the message was opt-in to marketing, you know, data information being retained by Facebook. Definitely. And I think because of this scandal in 2018, which I think was one of the biggest to involve data privacy, user consent, and what people and companies could do with personal data, we have seen a lot of more stringent and strict data protection acts, uh, not just with the examples that you mentioned with that, like companies like Apple, um, but also just making things a bit more transparent between consumer and business. Uh, and I think in the public sphere, people being more aware of terms like opt-out and what they're actually using and what they're actually opting in for, I suppose. But this data is very valuable. And so companies since this point in time have started just developing a few scummy tactics in order to keep your data or get a hold of your data. Um, one of the things that I like researched and like found was there are certain aggregate websites um, that find all the publicly available data that you have online, whether it be your cell phone number or images or other personal details that you have just put out there. And they collect it all together and you can just search up a person on these sites and have that data there for you, which is not great. Um, this is opening the door to people just being able to find someone, stalk them, harass them, Companies could use it Impersonate as... Impersonate them. Also a very good point. Uh, and even just kind of more um, on a macro level, things like telemarketing, finding people to harass with scams and things like that. And the scummy part of that, if that wasn't enough already, you have to pay money in order to opt out of those websites. So in order for you to get your information off these large aggregate sites... You need to send in a request and then pay a fee in order to essentially just have that data scrubbed. I can't believe that. That must be illegal. I, pretty that must be like, sus. must be outrageously illegal. Yeah. I can't believe that. Wow. I'll put them on blast. The, the two sites that I saw were being verified in Spokio that have these paid opt-out services. Um, yeah. It's it's not a fun time. But other than that, like you were talking about, or we had a brief discussion about 
what kind of information that sites and services like Ancestry.com and um, 23andMe take from you. And medical interests are, or at least medical records, are a big contender for the most valuable information that you can have. Uh, health records, financial records, these are things that companies want in order to market to you products. Things like loan sharks, if you have a stringent financial financial situation where you are not necessarily in a great place financially, you can be susceptible to these loan shark ads because more often than not, they're too good to be true. Uh, same with health. If you are suffering a particular health condition that you can't pay for, if it's a very uh, costly medical procedure, if you see an ad for a miracle pill that will solve your kidney issues in 30 days, you are targeting a vulnerable base of people that might be in a position to click on ads like that and make that purchase. Or an ad offering an organ. Oh. <laughs> a little intersection, perchance. But yeah, and it kind of led me down the rabbit hole of other things that more black markets type individuals would be willing to pay for. When these large websites that have all this information uh, get hacked or get exposed, a lot of the more personal information besides medical and financial, just credit cards, driver's license, passwords, and things like that, get leaked. And people scrub that information, get it all together, and sell it off to people to get hacked or whatever they use that information for. And I wanted to ask you, you have a Spotify account, right? I do. I How do. much do you think a Spotify account for a specific person would go on a black market? Just a single account. So they basically the like the login details to get into that account. Exactly. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't think a lot. Let's say $50. It's actually considerably less than that. It's about $2.75, according to... I mean, that's insulting. That's insulting. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think your playlists are worth much more? Well, I think my credit card information is a little bit... I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't... Does Spotify even save my credit card information? I can't remember. (laughs) But... I don't know, they're insulting us as well. <laughs> they're stealing our information and insulting us with cheap offers like this. It's fair enough. But wow. on the topic of credit cards, credit cards, like an individual credit card, goes for about $8 to about $22. It really depends on the credit limit of the card because obviously the larger it is, the more that these victims, or, or sorry, these people who bought them can spend before the victims notice. Um, I hate that. And these people are really selling this information instead of using it themselves. Like, imagine having such an abundant, you know, abundant amount of information that they instead decide to sell it instead of just using it. You know, they're like, we can keep our hands clean and make a ton of money. Exactly. Or relatively more clean. Yeah. I think being the middleman in the situation is definitely like the least risky 
when you compare it to the person who actually buys the credit card and then uses it. Um, but yeah, there something surprised me. Like, for example, just a Netflix account is anywhere between $1 and $3. Um, and a complete email address and password can go from anywhere between $0.70 cents to $2.30, which to me also seems pretty low considering. But it's madness. nevertheless, like you have these markets for these digital components of our lives that really strikes me as crazy. And I'm really glad that when researching this, I found that because of companies being, you know, exposed for their crimes previously, the, the current situation that we're in is definitely the most secure than it has been. Because I think during the blossoming of the internet age in the like early 2010s, a lot of this stuff was a lot more unregulated because it was a lot newer. And I'm very happy to see, which is maybe a, a, a tonal shift to some of our more somber resolutions when we do our research, that it seems that a lot of countries and companies are taking data privacy and cybersecurity and user-generated content and information quite seriously. Obviously, there are still companies that get exposed and hacked and information gets leaked that way, but it's slowly evolving, so it seems, that not a lot of situations can occur where companies can use your data so without your knowledge as people like Cambridge so flagrantly exactly i think eu definitely you know kind of leads the way in terms of consumer rights in general yes uh, really um but there's this i mean as you're mentioning this i i recall a bunch of ads i i watch a bit of youtube and some youtubers have been sponsored by this company called incogni yes um obviously this is not a sponsorship or anything <laughs> but incogni claims to go track down sites and databases that have your information um, and request takedowns for it, right? And they're quite, in their marketing, or at least in the sponsorships that I've heard, I mean, they're quite forthcoming in saying that these companies don't want to get rid of your data, but it's illegal for them to hold on to it, right? Like some stuff like that, and they'll pretty much do it for you. Um, but yeah, like there's a demand for people wanting their data back now. That's kind of how bad it's gotten since the internet has been developed right and although it's probably getting a bit better um you know some high-ranking officials and facebook and stuff are getting held a little bit accountable it's scary to think about man oh that's fair and i think just researching this in general it really goes to show how powerful the fact that like i think most developed countries and the people within them, how much time they spend not only on the internet, but on certain websites, that the information that you can get from those people is so valuable. The It kind of seems almost like a, it's a bit of a side tangent, but it seems almost like a waste to just use it on targeted ads. Like if, you know, a supervillain type individual, I feel like you could do a lot more nefarious stuff with that information than just use it to make people purchase a particular item over another 
and I guess influencing election is pretty high up there. But besides yeah. Cambridge Analytica, like there hasn't been, I think, as many or as large cases where this has been happening. At least to our knowledge, it could be going on right now. But who's gonna buy credit card details from one of these websites and then have to put in their credit card details to buy? <laughs> like, <laughs> how? I don't know. I don't know. Some people are weird. Yeah, they still do it. But I mean, yeah, like I wouldn't trust that website that's, at all. That that's true. I, unless there's like a you know, I know a lot of these more shady websites use crypto as like an alternative. That could be the case. But yeah, I think it does take a special kind of dummy to to essentially just do it. Well, one for one trade. I get this credit card, you get mine. <laughs> you know mine's good for it because I just bought this thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think this topic in itself, we can chat about for a very long time. Because it's very much this emerging market of data. Endless and endless amounts of people's data that is super interesting to look at and see. Um, a lot of websites now have like these annual uh, kind of data compilations where they show like, oh, this is the top 10 artists of the year. Or like, mm. this is what people have been watching or people have been um like more interested in and that part of it is super interesting but there is a nefarious side to why firms want up in your grill um and i think that we can leave it there but i really am interested to hear what you our beloved listeners have to say about the topic if you've had a very targeted ad show up after speaking about something very obscure please do let us know in the comments. And uh, while you're there, give us a, a nice five-star review or hit a like on the video if you're watching this on YouTube. But otherwise, my name is Vince Balak. And I'm Devin. And this has been Untold Wealth, episode 11.